Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, right 
um, to go toward a destination, and we tried to locate it, and we couldn't, so probably pulled back uh, into the clouds. And we've been doing research uh, uh, since then and looking at, uh, um, you know, different type of uh, zeppelins or uh, air balloons or uh, drone launchers, you know, trying to figure out what it was. We haven't found out what it uh, uh, even remotely looks like yet, but we're still investigating. Excellent. Well, that's that's amazing. I'm so glad. And, you know, a lot of people think that they need to go to uh, the Midwest or Las Vegas area or places like that to see UFOs. UFOs are everywhere. They really are. And as you know, my group saw one. Uh, we, my group uh, in Central Park uh, did a meditation uh, for about 45 minutes. And then we stayed around a little while. It was near the uh, Cleopatra's uh, Needle, the obelisk, uh, right in back of the uh, Metropolitan uh, Museum of Art. And all of a sudden, uh, one of our mild-mannered members screams, Oh, my God, turn around and look up. And we saw an amazing, amazing sight. It was three white lights and it was slowly moving towards us, way up in the sky. Wow. And, when it, and when it got right directly over us, it stops. It absolutely stopped. We couldn't hear any sounds of any kind. It was, it was just there. And then after a pause of about maybe 15, 20 seconds, it slowly and very silently continued to move to the northeast until it was out of sight. And here we are in one of the biggest cities in the world, uh, in Central Park, and that's what we saw. So you don't have to go far to see flying saucers. They are there. This conversation will be continued. Uh, uh, Your guest has a lot of interesting stories to relate, and I'm looking forward to hearing them. Uh, Thanks again, Nick. I'll be here if you need me. Okay, thanks, Hercules. Let me just say a few words about Disclosure Network. Now, I am the co-founder and the director of the group. It's a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan. We focus on cutting-edge UFO ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, as well as many important related subjects from a wide variety of sources. And we go deep into these exciting and sometimes misunderstood subjects uh, that the mainstream press will never, never disclose. Our members do intensive investigative research into these various topics and share that information with the group at our meetings and with our Internet followers. Now, the uh, motto right from day one was, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. Uh, We have available to everyone worldwide something called DNNY News Blast. It's an email service focusing on the topics of special interest to the group, and it's totally free. Uh, Just go to our website. I'll give you the address, dnny.info. And just type in your email address when asked for and click, and you'll be connected with our DNNY cutting news as well as uh, announcements of our meetings that are coming up and special events also. Uh, Hundreds of people have already signed on with more joining every single day. Uh, Now, um, 
I have a wonderful guest for tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. Um, he is the writer and a director. Uh, his name is Cornell Christensen. A very, very warm welcome to you, sir. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And yes, my name is Cornell, like Cornell University, no connection. And my last uh -huh. name is Christian Son, like son of a Christian. And I am uh -huh. the son of Christian parents, but I am not a Christian. I grew up, but I'm more Buddhist is what I'm closer to. I'm a licensed spiritual practitioner of a gigantic church in Los Angeles called the Agape Spiritual Center. And uh, my musical that's running off Broadway actually has the theme of Buddhism as the main theme of the show, which you don't see very often in, in popular entertainment. It's mostly sex and violence. And my show has a, a very uplifting theme that we should talk about of Buddhism. Right. So let, me give, uh, let me give our listeners just a little bit more of a background, just so they have an idea. Um, sure. Sci-fi uh, playwright, uh, of course. You grew up in Fairlawn, New Jersey, and you yes. uh, have, it said, two uh, Emmy Awards. Uh, what were those for? Uh, the Paper Chase television series with John Houseman about students at Harvard Law School. And, uh, you know, it did very well. But then I, I found television was a real burnout industry um they they work you like crazy eight months a year the money's good but also most of it is pretty i hate to use the word garbage but most television uh i didn't find very challenging so i left television and uh went into musical theater were both of those emmy awards for that particular show yes for the paper chase television series. I was at 20th Century Fox for two years. I was at Paramount Pictures for two years. Right. Okay. And um, um, you wrote a wonderful 1950s uh, sci-fi musical comedy uh, entitled It Came From Beyond, which is currently playing off-Broadway at St. Luke's Theater on West 46th Street and 8th Avenue. Uh, the musical is a homage to the 1950s sci-fi movies and includes film clips from uh, Vader's From Mars. That would be 1953. Uh, is Kornos? 1957. Kronos, yeah, Kronos. Kronos. Yeah. Uh, Devil Girl from Mars, 1954. And Destination Moon, 1950. And... Uh, it was uh, indeed an incredible experience. I recently saw the production, and me and my partner loved it so much. It's creative, it's stylish, fast-paced, a great musical score. I want to ask you more about that. And one of the most talented casts on Off-Broadway that was giving so strong performances, all of them, and the leads were amazing. They were spot-on, terrific. Um, the show has an occasional audience participation even, yes. which was wonderful fun, and we loved it so much. I highly recommend that everybody in the audience definitely makes a point to see this incredible, incredible show. Thank you. Yes. Hey, I heard you laughing. Deserved. You did enjoy it. I noticed that. 
Oh, it was it was great, and uh, like I said, I've already told a lot of friends about this, and uh, uh, tonight hopefully more people will hear about this, and uh, you will be uh, actually speaking uh, at one of our upcoming Disclosure Network meetings in July, and um, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that also. Uh, but right off the bat, I just want to very quickly give a little bit of background. Uh, I do that because it's interesting to know more, a little more about the uh, the people I'm interviewing. So right off the bat, may I ask you where you were born? Yes, uh, born uh, Columbia Presbyterian Hospital, but grew up in northern New Jersey. Um, and I was valedictorian of my high school, editor of the newspaper, went on to College of William and Mary in Virginia, where I was editor of the newspaper. So I was into writing and journalism early on and growing up in the New York City area my parents took me to Broadway musicals so ah, okay. right right away that helped mold you know my interest in musical theater i saw the Rodgers and Hammerstein shows like King and I and Camelot and i saw Mae La Mancha was one of my favorites so that obviously had some impact on my development and then from William and Mary I went to UCLA on purpose. I was accepted at Harvard Business School and Stanford, but I went to UCLA Business School because they had a program where you do your doctor, you do your your master's degree thesis at one of the co- companies. So I did mine at CBS at CBS Television. So that got me right into the entertainment industry. It's a great way to go. I recommend that to people who want to break into the entertainment industry when they're young. Uh, but then I didn't stay at CBS. I started uh, first producing television commercials and won some awards, and that got me into 20th Century Fox and uh, Paramount producing television shows. But then the, the moment came where I learned how to write, and what I learned was writing is not putting words on a piece of paper. Writing is ideas, coming up with ideas, clever ideas, twists. And I was coming up with all the ideas for the writers. We had a team of writers, and they were making all the big money. So I left that, and I started writing myself, started writing my own scripts, and starting writing my own plays. And then I hooked up with a guy I went to high school in Fairland, New Jersey. He wrote the songs for all my musicals. I've I've got... Uh, well, I've got one musical up in New York that is played around the country. I got another one coming, another one right behind that. So I got three in a row about to open off Broadway, all written musically by a guy by the name of Norman Tallheimer is his name, and he's he's quite a talent. You heard his songs. They've got great melody to them. You know, you don't get melodies like that anymore in New York, and there's a real shortage of good songwriters now for musical theater in New York. I absolutely agree. If you can't uh, hum or, or think of the, some of the music as you're leaving the theater and beyond that, uh, and a lot of times you, uh, especially now, unfortunately, that is yes. really true. And that's sad because I remember, again, some of the musicals you're mentioning I've seen, and you go out of the theater and the music is in your mind and you're yep. humming it and singing it, and that is not happening as much now. No, no. The younger generation can't write melodies. So, Isn't that you know, sad? That's really that very sad stuff there. That needs to be I know. seen. I, know what the, I don't know what the future is going to be. 
you got that one young team that did Frozen, but that's a rare younger writing team that's out there right now. It's just so that's why you see Broadway is all revivals. Uh, you know, it's the it's the old stuff. There's very little innovation anymore. Uh, well, I don't I know what the future is right going to be, and that's got to be changed because. Uh, and you're right. The revivals are there, and they do a very good job. And those yeah, are Oklahoma's iconic. great, but how many times can you see Kiss Me, Kate? They're great. Right. But, exactly. You know, exactly. I, I worked in some. I worked in summer theater when I was uh, in, in, in high school, way back in Massachusetts, and we had all the uh, different um, New York companies coming through. It was a, a group called uh, Goober, Ford, and, and, and Gross, and they toured all these major musicals, and they came to New England. So I uh, had wonderful times uh, learning learning theater, and uh, uh, I was there every night with cues to uh, put sets down and strike sets on the stage, and it was a wonderful time. And uh, that was a great way to for me to get in, in, involved in musical theater, and uh, it was an amazing experience for me. But you're, you're right; it needs to be looked at again. And music is is so important. And your your musical, it came from beyond, really did have that. Yeah, yeah, the songs are terrific. That's why we won best musical of the year in Los Angeles before we came here. And, uh, you know, it's songs that you can, you can hum, you can, you know, you can uh, sing along with. And now we have audience participation, which is another thing. We're the only show with audience participation. No, no other oh, show has that. that so much. We love that so much. I was, as you know, sitting in the front row on the, on the end, on the aisle. And at one point in the show, I, I felt a tap on my shoulder and it was an E.T. <laughs> yeah, an actor. Yeah, an actor as, a, as an alien. Yeah, as an exactly. alien. And boy, that was a memorable moment. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw that moment. Show. He looked right in your face with his ugly yes. face. And uh, that was a surprise, yeah. Oh, it was a lot. Of, that was a lot of fun, and uh, I'm yeah. so glad that you put that element in your show because it really just, again, it's such a fun piece, uh, and um, uh, I, I couldn't even see it again. And when you say something like that, you know yeah. it's good. When you say, I could actually. And we're getting see a it lot again. of people coming back. Uh, we got a lot of grandmothers coming back, bringing their grandchildren. Oh and wow! Repeat business says a lot. Uh, yeah, there, there's a moment where, and, and the thing about the audience participation, you don't have to participate. It doesn't put anyone on the spot. It's not like bringing people up on stage like they sometimes right, do. Right, right. You know, for us, the alien turns everyone in the audience into aliens, into zombies. So you, you yeah. hold your arm up in the air because you're a zombie, and you have to move your arm according to what the alien commands. And then later, you get to do the mind power dance to defeat the aliens. You know, and you get to participate in saving the world, and you you really feel like you accomplished something. The kids love it. They feel like they, you know, destroyed the aliens at the end. And, and it, it, <laughs> well, it not becomes, just the kids. The, I'll tell you, all the ages. Yeah, all ages. Because you just and, don't uh, get to do, you know, that kind of stuff. And then it's got the it's got some of the old melodrama type stuff where you boo the villain and you cheer, you know, the hero. That's always a fun thing to do. You know? Oh, I love that. And also the yeah. actors were, were uh, getting to, uh, mugging, doing some vaudeville shtick, and oh, doing yeah. some, some takes to the audience. And, again, it's that connection 
that you've done with the audience and the actors and the music that all works so well. Yes. And it's, and it's all done as a homage to 50 sci-fi movies. It's not making fun of them. It, we're not ridiculing them. You're not laughing oh, no. at them. You're laughing along with, you know, how funny the whole concept of this kernel is that, you know, for like, Dr. Strangelove type colonel or the professor who's so into his physics or, you know, or of course the alien. It's so funny. It was funny when you watched the 50 sci-fi movies. Although as a kid, they actually scared me when I saw them. Uh, some of them you, did. Yeah. Some of them did do that. You're right. Some of them were lots of fun, but some of them were scary. I think deliberately. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Some, the B movies, the low budget ones, you know, are, are kind of funny, but you know, I grew up in the fifties and I, I, I made monster models, collected monster cards and I had, uh, you know, classic illustrated comic books. I loved those of all the, all the, and I love the fifties sci-fi movies, war of the worlds, invasion of the body snatchers, just great stuff. And um, I loved, you know, the fact we've been able to relive it through this musical and we've got clips as the backdrop of the scenes, you, you've got the actual scene from Invaders from Mars where the people were sucked into the ground by the aliens. That's our backdrop. Uh, yep. They don't get sucked into the stage, but they will in the movie. I've written the movie. We are going to make the movie. And then they will get sucked into the ground, you know, as a homage well, you know, to Invaders from Mars. Yeah. That, that particular scene, when you were talking about being sucked into the ground, I'll tell you how memorable that was. It was striking. It was very heavy-duty stuff. And oh, boy, scary. Oh, my goodness. We really were, you know, and it was oh, done yeah. very well. They did a good job with that special effect. Oh, yeah. And uh, then the and needles into the back of your neck. Remember neck? that? That was scary. Yep, we still remember all that because it was done so well. I want to do a sidebar here just for a moment and say that uh, these movies – uh, in the 50s uh, that were, were coming at us and a lot of uh, a lot of newspaper articles and a lot of chatter about uh, UFOs. Well, when we started, uh, the government started uh, doing nuclear weapons and atomic bombs and all that, there was a huge amount of UFO sightings. And that's not an accident. That's because right. we've done some research on this is because yeah. that just doesn't stay on this planet. That that go, goes out into space, and it literally affects other planets and other areas in the space. It's not just uh, in, the, in uh, the Earth at all. And the different uh, beings uh, felt that very strongly and were alarmed and started coming to coming. the planet to find out what the heck was going on and they were very much alarmed by that uh, so the atomic bomb was, test in Nevada yes. would actually be reverberate across space yes to another yes, planet absolutely yep really? absolutely and and Never it was something that. that they did not at all want and and they tried they, a few times to stop that and there's many stories uh, with some eyewitnesses that say that uh, there's been a couple of attempts by uh, beings from other areas that have come here and talked to uh, the top government officials. And the story goes that they were going to offer us 
advanced technologies, uh, including medical technologies, if we would promise to get about nuclear weapons and stop all these testing. And the sad fact is the government said no to them. Said no, yeah. And uh, there's there's stories about Eisenhower and his encounter a few times, and that was and that was on the table as as well as Nixon later on, and that was at the Pentagon. And and again, it was offered as as we will give you these advanced technologies, but you have to stop this. And in both cases, they got no's from us, and then they left. Uh, Was that a wrong decision? You bet. You bet. you bet. And look how we're paying the price for it now, you know? Yep, yep. So, so, that, so with that, th- that, that makes a lot of sense that all of a sudden people were seeing uh, UFOs and, uh, worldwide, and they, they were writing about it, they were talking about it, and, of course, Hollywood got wind of this and started yep. exploiting that with these really wonderful movies that were taking that theme and then being creative and doing what they could with that theme. And what you're talking about here is some of the very best of the sci-fi movies of that era. Of that era, yes. And they've really been doing it ever since. Some great space movies, great saucer, flying saucer ones. You know, I love all the alien movies, whether it's Arrival or Interstellar or, you know, any of them. They're so creative and... um, you know, you you feel like you're connected to the rest of the the universe. You feel like you're not alone. That there's well, more you know what? out and there. there we go. When you say that, there we go with uh, a bit of how that touches people in deeply, and how it also impacts on religious beliefs. Because once you start opening that door and saying we are not alone, we've never been alone. And we've been visited for thousands of years, and there's a lot of proof of that. We're getting more yes. proof every day. Uh, my group, Disclosure Network New York, digs deep into that subject, and it's incredible what we found. Uh, some of it's on the Internet now that, that our, our listeners can go and take a look at. But there's a tremendous amount of research out there, and every single day there's new discovery. So this is quite a, uh, an amazing, very cutting-edge thinking about what's going on and, and the fact that we, we have been visited, are being visited. And uh, a lot of uh, top people are saying not only have we been visited, but they're here. And some of them are underground. And that's a whole other program we'll get into sometime with an authority right. on that. But that's another subject. That, that's incredible. I have talked to some people on some of the UFO conferences who've had amazing experiences on that level, and uh, that will be yes. another program. Um, I want to also talk about your other two musicals that are coming up. I believe one is coming up in June, and the other is, is coming up in the fall. But uh, the other one, the next coming up, is Wicked City Blues, another a musical. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Wicked City Blues is 40s film noir, so it's detective, femme fatale, gangsters, dead bodies, jazz music. So it came from beyond. It's my 50s sci-fi musical. Wicked City Blues is my 40s film noir musical. 
I've also written a 1960s sword and sandal musical, which is Hercules, Samson, Amazon Women. And then I also have a Marilyn Monroe musical that's going to open in November off Broadway, which is going to be my Tell biggest hit. Tell us a little bit about that, also. That, yeah, that really is quite interesting. Tell us a little more about that. It's called well, Maryland thing, Exposed, correct? Maryland Exposed. It exposes the truth about Marilyn Monroe. What I'm trying to do, my purpose. I, I'm basically an investigative reporter. Uh, I've been a journalist my whole life, and I've done a lot of intense investigative research on Marilyn Monroe. But what's happened is new witnesses have come forward in the last few years on their deathbeds. They decided to clear their conscience and come forward. So we got this new information that we didn't have before. So what I've done is I've written this into a musical with wonderful song and dance numbers with Marilyn Monroe, but it also presents what my goal for the musical is to shatter the myth that she committed suicide because she didn't, she was murdered. So she was killed. So I present uh, the strong evidence. I make a strong case that she did not commit suicide. Then I present evidence that she was killed, uh, who killed her, how they killed her and why they killed her. And I've got now, Four witnesses. I've got signed statements by one of them, and I've got video of, of of three of them. And I actually show the video in the musical. So I'm calling it a docu musical, part documentary film, part musical. It's a new form of entertainment that I'm calling a docu musical, and it's going to present uh, the evidence that we have now of of who who killed her. Well, the, the whole concept of a docu musical—I mean, a, a documentary that's been made into a musical—I love that. I think that you're yeah, going to get never a, seen it before. What is Yeah, it's a new animal. It's a new entity. Uh, you know, you have you have musical song numbers and scenes, and then you have video of actual people who knew Marilyn Monroe, who talk about her, and we go through and and it starts as a murder mystery with the police officer who was first on the scene uh, at w- w- with her dead body. And right away he walked in and he said, uh, this is a stage scene. Uh, this is a murder. She didn't commit suicide. And you start to present the evidence. So it becomes a, a, a mystery case as he talks to people and you have other suspects. There were some really other good suspects like um, 20th Century Fox got $13 million in life insurance for, with her death at a time when uh, they were going bankrupt and Zanuck was being fired. Uh, so there's all kinds of suspects like that who uh, you, you want to take a look at. She was sleeping with her psychiatrist, Green, Dr. Greenson. That's against the law. You go to prison when you sleep with your client. And she was going to come forward and, and reveal the, the evidence, reveal the truth. Also about her sleeping with uh, President Kennedy, and he was a pillow talk guy. He would tell his girlfriends classified secrets, uh, not only about trying to kill Castro, but there's this there's this uh, talk about him having seen some bodies at a alien bodies, alien dead bodies at a secret government base. You know, things from outer space. 
and she was going to come forward. Really, they had to kill her. Uh, you, you could justify it that way if you want. She was going to go public. She'd signed her own death warrant, uh, you know, which is too bad because she was really right at the prime of her career. She was just taking off. She, she was not what the myth is that she was, uh, you know, depressed and on drugs and alcohol and therefore committed suicide. It was quite the opposite. She was clean and sober for a year. She was happy. She just bought her first house, first furniture. She had a brand new contract for a million dollars of film. And the list goes on. It's all presented in this musical, making the case that she she did not commit. And and right now her house in Brentwood just sold for $7 million. And no one's been in it for 30 years. And wow. the reason no one's inhabited her house is because the people there claim it's haunted. Her ghost is there in the house. People say that when they spend the night there, that things move around in the house. We'll see what the new owners are going to do with this. But my theory is she, her, her ghost, you know, her spirit is not at rest because she was murdered in that house right there. And, and she is not at rest. And what I'm hoping to do through my musical, through my docu-musical, is to present evidence that people will learn, shatter that myth. She didn't commit suicide. And look who killed her. They're all dead. Her killers are all dead. There's not going to be any justice. But if still, if we can change some of the public perception about her, take away that stigma. That stigma hangs over her, and it's unfair. It's just not fair. Well, you know, uh, we are in an age of fake news that's never been more obvious. Uh, it's, it's on the lips of everyone now, and we're able to prove how many times we've been fed totally, totally fake fake news as fact and we're just coming to I think when we say I mean the general public is just now getting the idea that we've been lied to on so many levels on the most important issues you can imagine and so again doing a docu-musical uh, is such an interesting idea I think the time has come for something like that and you're, you're fashioning the real facts and a, a wonderful way to relay those facts is to put them in a, a, a form of an entertainment, a, a, a piece of entertainment. entertainment. It's just yep. a great idea, and I'm just very excited for you, and I'm very excited for the audiences that are going to come and see these works and get a very different perspective of what really has gone down. I, yes. I, lo I love the idea, and I think you're going to have a lot of success with this. I think so, too. I think it's we did a few um, stage readings and the, the, we packed a piece. People heard about it. We packed the place. So yeah, I think uh, people are gonna. Uh, it also it also has the first ever lesbian love song number, and it involves Marilyn Monroe. She was bisexual. A lot of people don't know that, but uh, she she was in love with her uh, acting coach Natasha for seven years. They lived together. And she had involvements with other uh, celebrities. So that's something new. There's a lot of new stuff because all this new information has come out lately. Um, and it's great. It's great to have, get some of the truth. Now, of course, my challenge is going to be they're going to attack me as being fake news. You know, the people are going to the Kennedys and other people are going to come after me 
as saying I made this all up or whatever. That's why I've got all my ducks in line. I've got my witnesses. I've got signed statements. I've got them on video. You know, I don't present any piece of information unless I have a second source, at least a second source, which is why I actually can't present that uh, information on the aliens that uh, Kennedy told her about seeing the the alien bodies. There's only one piece of information for that, the CIA report that, that came public. I, I've yet to find out a backup witness to that. Uh, so that's not in my musical, unfortunately. But that's something we'll see in the future. Um, the guy who wrote that CIA report, who worked for the governor of California, I'm sure there are some people trying to track him down. If they can find him, then we might get a second source on that. That would be huge. You can imagine if Marilyn Monroe had held a press conference in 1962 and said that President Kennedy told her he had seen alien bodies. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been incredible? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, brother. That would that would be headlines for sure. Um, I got to ask you, I don't know if you know this or not, but maybe you do. There was a report that um, Jackie Gleason of uh, all yes, people. Yes, I know that was one, yeah. Friends. Right, was friends with Nixon, and yes. and at one point he was asked to come with Nixon, and they viewed alien bodies. Do you know anything about that story? I know, I know the whole story. Yes, I know it in detail, and, and but I do not myself have any direct evidence on that. I've only seen it reported in books and documentary films by other investigative reporters, and uh, you know. I believe it. Um, I don't doubt these people who are these sources. It, some of these stories become so fantastic, you couldn't make them up. You know, no, you couldn't. You, would, you could not you make, make that couldn't. up. You, know. <laughs> you can't. It's too amazing. Also, did yeah. you ever see the photographs of Jackie Gleason's home? No. Well, guess what? Well, you got to take a look at that. You can find it on the internet, and you never guess what it looks like. It looks like a flying saucer. <laughs> okay. I'm not. I couldn't even make that up. Take a look at this, and I, I would. You got to be kidding! Wait till you see the the architect and how they they managed to do an incredible house, but it has overtones of a UFO. Anyhow, yeah, that's okay. that another one. I know you can't make it up, and this this stuff. Well, is yeah. the one another that the one I that I about. believe is that Gene Roddenberry met with aliens, and he got all those ideas that are in Star Trek from directly from aliens. Because how does he suddenly, almost overnight, within a year, have all those ideas that were revolutionary well, for its time? You well, know? I can tell you, I can answer part of that question because. I have another podcast. It's also produced by Hercules, and it's called the Urantia uh, um, Book with Nick. Have you ever heard of the Urantia Book? No. Okay, Urantia. Uh, the, the meaning of U R A N T I A. The word Urantia means our planet Earth. And in the early part of the uh, the century, uh, there was a man named Dr. William Sadler who lived in uh, Chicago, and he was a debunker of uh, some of the frauds that were going on where they were telling people that they were uh, contacting their uncles or their grandmothers and so forth and defrauding a lot of people. And he was up in arms about that. He was a lecturer. He was a doctor. 
and he really didn't like anything that was not true. And there's a lot of stories about things that he did. He was very well known in Chicago, and he wrote several books. Well, a woman um, contacted him and said that her husband was going into this this amazing state where he looked like he was asleep, but then he starts talking, and the things he was saying, the, the man couldn't possibly know. He was talking about incredible physics, subjects that he never knew about, and the, and the wife couldn't wake him up, and she was very concerned, and she contacted Dr. Sadler and asked if the doctor would take a look at the, the husband and see what was going on. The bottom line is Sadler went there and spent many, many years, as it turns out, because what the man was saying was extraordinary. It was and he recorded. recorded it, right? He recorded it? It was, it was recorded, and uh, he went back many, many, uh, hundreds of times. And he had a, a group uh, that went to his uh, a small, beautiful um, uh, estate. It's in, in, I've been there. It's in Chicago. And he had friends that were doctors, lawyers, uh, police, everybody. And they would meet on Sundays, a uh, little soiree, and they would talk about the, uh, the news of the day. And he went to these people after many, many years and said, there's something extraordinary that I'm investigating, and I want you to know about it. And I'm asking you to, to absolutely say nothing to anybody about this. And they all agreed. And then he said, he was telling what the, what the man was saying in this, in this state of sleep. So, and they, and uh, the last time he, Sadler was there, uh, through the, the sleeping subject, the, uh, an entity said, why are you asking such simple questions when you could be asking so much more questions in depth? Well, this was, sure. this was a challenge to William Sadler, and he said to the group, I want you to write every question you can think of that if you could get an answer for, you, you would want that. And he got hundreds and hundreds of questions that he took with him. And he put them in order and started asking the sleeping subject or when, when he was in that position, these questions. And it turns out that the answers were extraordinary, absolutely breathtaking. They, they deal with subjects like uh, aliens, of, of right. governments on other planets, of uh, Jesus and, and what he was and what he wasn't. It goes right. into extraordinary detail. Uh, I've Can you read all that before. now? I've been, that studying that for, I've been studying that book for about 35 years. And oh, I what's have it my called? Own, it's called the Urantia book, U-R-A-N-T-I-A. And the book is extraordinary. It's, um, it's 2,000 2, pages, and you can find that book online. In fact, the, uh, an organization called the, Fellowship, called the Foundation actually has paid actors and they have read every single page of the book and it's now online. You can listen to it okay. as well as read it. So uh, the way to do that is to go to U-R-A-N-T-I-A-B-O-O-K dot O-R-G and you will find it's an extraordinary uh, website and you again, you can access this book. The reason I'm bringing that up that Gene Roddenberry and his wife attended many of the study groups uh, uh, with the Urantia book. They were studying okay. the Urantia book. 
And we have a lot of proof on that. And a lot of the uh, subjects in the series, which was a huge hit, and believe me, I was certainly a follower of that. And it seemed to have, like you just said, there was something about that that was extraordinary and unique and different. Well, uh, we believe, and we have proof of this, that a lot of those subjects were from the Arantia book that the writers and Gene Roddenberry put into the scripts. So what you were, why it was, was so important is that you were listening and looking at these, at these series, but something was resonating to you. There was something going on. And that's why I got so interested uh, when I found out about this book, because it, it, it really, when I was reading it, I went, wasn't that one of the episodes? And the answer was, yes, there was. So there's a lot of back and forth there that we're still finding out a lot about. So I urge you uh, and the listeners to, tonight to take a look at that website, urantiabook.org, and, and read some of this book and see where you go. Yeah. You, will, you will be absolutely amazed. I said to the uh, – I'm a member of uh, the Urantia Society of Greater New York, and I've been a past president of that group, and I'm currently the outreach chair. And uh, we, we bring this book to many different groups, uh, and uh, we've got an amazing reaction from it uh, when you start reading it. Um, we've also been on Coast to Coast. I did a voiceover with a, a 15, 30, and 45-second uh, commercial for the Rancher book, and one of the members is an extraordinary uh, composer, uh, uh, an Emmy award-winning composer, and he did the background score, and we, I did the voiceover talking about the Urantia book, introducing it, and we were on ABC's Coast to Coast many, many times, and uh, okay. we've gotten a lot of a lot of uh, play from that. So anyhow, it's it's just a very interesting link, uh, as you're mentioning, between uh, Gene Roddenberry and an incredible book called the Urantia book. So. That, that I urge you to also please take a look at that. I think you'll find it amazing. Sounds amazing, yeah. Because uh, I, I did the Course in Miracles, which was also, you know, psychically delivered through somebody who then wrote it all down. Um, but it didn't have this type of information about how the universe works. You know, it was more strictly on a consciousness level. And then there's another one. There's another guy, Abramson or somebody, who speaks through another person, and everybody goes and listens to them, and they write it down. There's been, and, you know, these are aliens speaking to humans, right? That's what that's what they are, aren't they? Alien uh, beings. Uh, uh, you, you could you could classify them as yes, because they're off planet. So you could say that yes, off planet or advanced. Elderly, uh, alien, uh, you know, uh, the, the most advanced ones or something. Um, I don't know. Well, who do they explain is speaking the Orantia book? Who, where, who's they, the source? They actually, they, in the chapters they have there, and again, it's a 2,000-page book, and all the, uh, the chapters are answers to the questions that this this group in Chicago had had fashioned as the question. No, I know that, but but who's talking to the guy who's asleep? Um, well, that's what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is that at the end of each chapter is a name of an entity. Oh, it's different entities. Okay. Different entities. 
And the Different thing that's also interesting is that when you start reading this book, you realize that these entities do have different personalities. It yeah. is an extraordinary read. I, I, I urge you, 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 believe me, you will find this like potato chips. Once you start reading this, you will not put this down. <laughs> okay. I've spent weekends, weekends when I had other plans, and I opened the book, and all of a sudden it's Sunday night. <laughs> Because I've been, I, I just can't put the book down. There's so much. Yeah, in there. I remember reading Edgar Casey. I couldn't put it down. The, Edgar exactly Casey had, you know, had all his psychic uh, impressions that were amazing. It's 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 a fascinating subject, and uh, it's it's so we the Disclosure Network group also digs into to that. We've had someone from the Edgar Casey uh, group here in New York speak to the group as well. Okay. Um, we really, we really reach out and try to uh, get as much information as we can, and and sometimes it's extraordinary what you can find, and and the and the links between these various subjects. It, it's it's. I'll tell you, I never dreamt that it was going to be so fascinating when I started the group seven, eighteen, a little more than eighteen years ago. Right. It, uh, it's it's going amazing. I went to a lecture of Dr. Uh, Stephen Greer, who I found was coming to New York, and I read his works, and he's, he's, a, he's a really quite an amazing guy, and he was going to come to New York for his first lecture, and because I'm in advertising, I decided to uh, be a volunteer and spread the word about his lecture. So I did that. I worked with people to make that. It was a big success. He filled a huge auditorium on uh, the um, Fifth Avenue with this with an amazing lecture. And after it was over, the volunteers were saying goodbye. And me and a couple of people said, why are we saying goodbye? This is something that New York needs to have happen, uh, not just right. once as a special event. So we ended up talking about fashioning something in New York, and it turned out to be, guess what? Disclosure Network New York. That's where it came ah, from. There it is. Yeah, in fact, I had an interview, a uh, wonderful 90-minute uh, interview with with uh, with him um, uh, recently, and that's now on our website, dnny.info. And the um, the Stephen Greer lecture, uh, uh, an interview is on that is right on our website, along with a okay. lot of other programs that we have we have recorded and we put them both on the website, our website, as well as YouTube. So they're in both places. And uh, we, uh, it's a great way for you to catch up on, you know, on what we've been having uh, for, for lectures and, and also for um, uh, talks with the members of the group. We have some of those, what we call town meetings. They're also been recorded. So that's all uh, up on the uh, internet and that's, that's accessible. Okay. Now, I just want to – I can't believe we're already, like, within an, an eight minutes of the program's going to end. And I knew this was going to happen. I knew it because there was so much that you have and that I wanted to run past you. Um, what are your thoughts about you, – you shared a little bit about what Broadway is and what it should be and could be. Do you have any more um, insights on that, any other things you'd like to leave with us? Well, I mean, on one hand, 
musical theater is bigger than ever. What we're seeing is every high school across the country, 50,000 high schools are putting on these big productions that the kids are really getting involved in and they're very high caliber. So the kids are, are loving musical theater. But then here in New York, you've got these corporations have taken over Broadway. It's mostly yes. those studio, the Hollywood studios, it's mostly Disney, Warner Brothers and Universal. And they mostly yep. are, are being, you know, and it's $15 million or more to put on a musical on Broadway. So to reduce their risks, they're taking movies from their libraries and, and just doing movie musicals, you know, no innovative stories. Uh, so you get King Kong and you got now Tootsie and, you know, you get uh, you know, Mean Girls and Waitress and the, the list goes on. Yep. Uh, so, so therefore what's left is off Broadway where I'm operating. That's where you can do some new things. You can innovate a little more, you have new stories, and that's what I'm doing. So I'm I'm doing off Broadway. I've got it came from beyond, and I've got Wicked City Blues, and I've got Maryland Exposed, and I've got several others coming. So I'm going to put my focus into off Broadway, and tickets are only thirty five dollars. That's a big difference. The tickets are so expensive now. Only the rich can go to Broadway. So you know, I I'd say. You know, Off-Broadway is the place to go if you want to see musical theater. Now, is there a place that you could suggest where they could get tickets for your for your uh, your show? Oh, yeah. Let me suggest that. There's a, there's a, a key word uh, for discount tickets, the word right, W-R-I-G-H-T, right. Uh, if they say the word right, they will uh, W-R-I-G-H-T. Uh, they'll uh, get discount tickets at the box office for $35 instead of $60. So just walk so up to right the box, the box office. office right at the, the theater box office, they can do that. Well, that's good yes. to know. When is the box office open? Well, definitely by 4 o'clock in the afternoon because there's a show every night, right. a different show. We're, we're only Tuesday nights right now, but what, Sunday night will have Wicked City Blues. They have a show called Frankenstein Monday nights. Um, so, but Tuesday nights to see it came from beyond at seven o'clock. So walk up to the box office, use the code word right, and you get a $35 ticket. Now, if they go on a different day, they happen to be in the city. Could they say that? Yeah, and get a ticket. To, they could say that and get their ticket. Yes. For another day. For another day. Yes. Okay, and uh, do you have matinees, or is it just the evening? Is it seven o'clock always? Yeah, just Tuesdays at seven. Yeah, we don't have a matinee. Tuesdays at seven. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I also again I got to compliment you on the cast because they delivered such professional, polished performances. The two leads were amazing, absolutely yes. incredible, and yes. they they are brought certainly Broadway material. No no yes. stretch on that. And, yes. Uh, just it was just I just think you populated your script with amazing talent and it really sings. It's a beautiful it's a beautiful show. Thank you. and they're they're non union. I mean uh that's really? how we're that's able true. to keep the costs down. Our cast is non union. Uh and what happens is they sign a four month contract and before the four months are up they get they get uh discovered 
and they leave us for an equity production where they make lots of money, which is good oh. for them. You know. Yes. We're, we're happy to launch them. We're on our four, number four cast because we've already done. You know, we're in our 16th month, so this is our fourth cast. You're seeing. Oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah, fourth cast. So, uh, but they're but they're willing to to do it. You know, these are non-union people. Um, they're pouring in from them from the uh, universities around the country. The musical theater programs are producing these outstanding uh, students who can sing and act and dance. So they're coming to New York, and we're able to get pick some really great ones. But then we lose them soon enough because they, you know, they get an equity production, and that's fine. Well, we just bring in new ones, and we're happy to help out all these people. And they get their first off-Broadway credit, which they love. It, of course, of course, that really counts, and that looks really good in their portfolio for sure. Oh, they, yeah. They've done that. And, exactly. uh, that that helps really, them then yeah, go on. Now, alas, we reach uh, the end of our show, uh, and we have a transition time coming up. Uh, this was amazing. I was sitting here uh, listening and paying attention, and uh, a lot of really interesting things uh, uh, were said, things I now have to explore. Yes, me too. Um, is there any contact information that both of you would like to share again uh, now that we're at the tail end of the show? Do you have a well, website? Think, yeah, I'll tell my website is it came from com. And then we have wickedcityblues.net, and we have marilynexposed.com. So, yes, we the name of the musical.com, yeah. Awesome. And, again, it's at the St. Luke's Theater, and that's on West 46th Street. And that's where uh, Restaurant Row is also. Yeah, Restaurant Row, 8th Avenue. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a great street. It's really a great street, too. And, uh, again, uh, I recommend that uh, people – who want to see a really clever, fun evening. Don't miss this amazing show. Uh, sci-fi fans, this is a must for you. Yes. Uh, the your network again is dnny.org, dnny.org, and you'll get right into what we're doing next. Okay. Thank you so very much, Nick. Thank you so very much, Mr. Christensen. Uh, and yes. uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about uh, your artistic work. It sounds incredibly awesome. Um, both you. of you have a great day. Thank you. Right. Really much, much luck to everyone. Good night. Good, Good night. night. We're going to quickly listen to Dave the Bard's Cauldron Born, and then we'll be back for the second half of our show. Blood and bone of woman. 
Cauldron's blue 
to you You will dance in the eye of the storm Your carrot wins children The cauldron born Oh lady, stir your cauldron well Chant your words and sing your spell Deep within this darkened hall Hear the goddess carrot when called Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your carrot when children, the cauldron born. You're the cauldron Today, our guests are Tracy Lynn Kennedy and Jennifer Stovall, both of whom have been on the show many times, and uh, it is great to be speaking with them again. Greetings and welcome. Greetings. Hi, Hercules. Hi, Tracy. How is everything? Hi. Um, Good. I'm going, yeah, extremely well. Yes. How about for you? Uh, things are going extremely well. So busy that uh, I'm losing track of time, but uh, I just need to get better with my time management. So it's a challenge. And I heard that you guys were in Los Angeles uh, this week for, for a couple of days. We we were. We were um, invited to a Unarius night at the Zebulon Cafe in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. seven of us went. And actually ate another student, a newer student, James, and we um, got dressed in costumes, showed Kevin put together a mashup with Jody Willie, who was the um, woman filmmaker who's been working with us for several years now. And we showed the 28 minutes of the mashup, which is a compilation that Kevin and Jody put together. Kevin edited awesome. it. And it was fantastic. And then it was followed by question and answers with seven of the students and then followed by and um, Orion number four, the religious deception and spiritual truth. And we have never experienced a crowd of people so receptive to Unarius. It was just, it was a phenomenal evening. Awesome. It was incredible. So and we think there was at least 200 people there, at least. Wow. Yeah. 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 That, it that was awesome. Standing room, I gave only us a, yeah. sitting on standing, the floor. Yes, standing room only, standing ovation after the clip, and it was, it really was just totally awesome and so wonderful to experience. And you had mentioned that there was uh, um, a a presentation on uh, religious uh, deception. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. It's a series that was made in the late 70s, early 80s, um, a series of psychodramas about the overall title of the decline and destruction of the Orion Empire. And it um, covers from when Delos, the spiritual leader from the Pleiades, arrived and the um, the leaders of Tyrant, um, 
of Orion, including Tyrantus, were trying to understand what power Delos had. And when we get to um, the number fourth episode, it exposes the religion, the tyrannical religious um, deception and religion that they had on Tyrantus, which um, on Orion, which was Tyrantus was the leader, the negative leader um, of mm-hmm. how the people were under hypnotic influence and programmed in Orion. And one particular person was a technician and he um, asked for help in the church service and didn't get help. They just told him to take drugs. And he said, I don't want to take drugs. And then he meets with um, Delos, a spiritual leader outside and Delos um, exposes what his past life cause was. He has a healing and he goes back into you know, he's so excited. He started telling everybody, "I'm, you know, I've been healed. I've been healed." And, and then, in the meantime, the Orion leaders or negative leaders are watching him because everybody's watched and programmed and watching him and recognizing that something's very wrong with this fellow, supposedly wrong with this fellow because he's had this healing. And so it's a very powerful episode. It's, um, and I think everybody appreciated it Monday night, and we've watched it in class again last night. It's just the Orion series is just phenomenal and we're living orion on planet earth today yes we are yeah jennifer did you want to add anything yeah i was just going to say that um at the time of the filming this was actually the late i believe late 70s and we made the center into a orion church and um had robes and there were uh priests that came in and incense and it was it was so real and um the head of it was uh for in the psychodrama was Arthur Reed who had been in religion and been I believe a minister for many years and he was working out he did this to work out his past and mm. um so it was really really uh very uh intense and real at the time and then up in the video lab, you had, um, uh, well, the uh, Dennis McNabb at the time who was uh, working out his past as well. All the students were, but his as the head of communications. And then he was monitoring, uh, showing how he was monitoring the computers. And then he was noticing um, what was going on. And this technician, um, Roberto Gayton, who um, outside of the um, this was outside of the service, um, you know, was having this tooth pain and went in and asked for help. And he was told with Tyrannus on the screen, you know, take drugs, more drugs. And he said, more drugs? That's all you give me is more drugs. And then when he went outside, uh, Delos or uh, Uriel Ruth Norman was with a group of um, Orionites and um, giving a teaching and he came up and she helped him at this point and uh, told him and gave him this beautiful beam of energy and healing and said that you know you're free and um, she even encouraged him to get a new line of work at what point he went back to all the uh, technicians and said I've been freed and he was telling people I'm free I'm free Uh and so that was then picked up by um, the the head of the communications on the monitor at which point he just says well you know we've got to really look into this we can't have this you know, abrupt, uh, disrupting the Orionite uh, programming. So uh, zapped him in a hypnotic trance so that his mind would be wiped out. So, 
you know, all these things are just very, you know, um, present day in terms of yes. how you hear of um, people wanting, hip, you know, um, hypnosis and um, wanting uh, now implants um, for certain things. So, yes. So. And all the drugs that um, are prescribed by doctors and you know, right now we have this huge opiate crisis and just that mm-hmm. um, recent ruling against these doctors who prescribed overly prescribed drugs and helped mm-hmm. create this opiate epidemic. And I um, wanted to also mention that Jennifer actually was part of the psychodramas, the Orion psychodramas at the time she was at the center. So she has wow. firsthand knowledge of what it was like. Yeah. Yeah. I was one of the, awesome. uh, one of, one of the members of the church. So um, I remember that. Well, you know, we sat with our heads bowed most of the time and, you know, whenever we were supposed to stand up. So it felt like a real church service. So Unarius provides a way of traveling through time also uh, through these uh, relivings and the psychodramas because uh, it brings you back to uh, uh, times that were before uh, and uh, it it shows you the relevance in your life uh, today and how uh, you are stuck reliving that until you are free from it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Um, tonight we're going to explore, uh, we'll return to Orion uh, because that's going to be a series all in and of itself. Uh, but today uh, we're going to start a new series on the Interplanetary Confederation, uh, also called the IPC. And uh, I've uh, read a lot uh, on it in the past, and now I'm rereading uh, everything that uh, I've read before, and uh, very, very much surprised on how relevant some things that weren't relevant in the past are uh, at, at, at that point I first read them and how relevant they are for me now. So it's, it's an amazing uh, uh, thing. Uh, how would you define the Interplanetary Confederation? And we'll start with Tracy, and then we'll go um, to Jennifer. The Interplanetary Confederation are a group of um, 33 planets within the Milky Way galaxy that are arranged in a way where they, um, it's a, like a spiraling vortex. And mm-hmm. this was something that Uriel discovered. I shouldn't say it's discovered. But she and her higher self always knew that, what this was. But uh, on this, her last incarnation, um, in the 19, 1973, I think it was, she sat down with um, two different students who served as subchannels and opened up her consciousness and started receiving, started contacting these planets via mental communication. And she, over the course of several months, contacted 32 other worlds. Um, Planet Earth will one day become a member of the Interplanetary Confederation. We've been asked to join with these other planets, but we're not quite there yet. And part of what we are trying to do is to let people know about this Interplanetary Confederation because basically they serve as like a United Nations of our galaxy. And these planets, once Uriel made this contact with them, with each of the spiritual polarities on each of the planets, she was able to help them discover the lens which is basically her higher self, her super consciousness. And they were able to receive help on whatever particular problem that they had. And she would, she then projected, I mean, I'm giving this in a nutshell, but she then projected 
a you know, tremendous healing beam of energy to them, and they were awakened to their spiritual purpose. And many of them already were, but they, all the plants had some type of something that they needed help with, whether they were very agriculture and you know, didn't want to use technology or they were over, you know, they ha- had all different types of problems. And through her recontacting each of these planets over the course of several months of our Earth time, they were able to get the help that they needed to help themselves to make a change and to be reintegrated with the Inarius principles, with the joining of science and spirit, and recognize whatever particular problem they had had a past life cause. So um, that's a very brief encapsulated version of what the Interplanetary Confederation is, but it's something that um, they all now work together continually, sharing information, sharing um, their resources, traveling back and forth, learning from one another and um, to me it's just so exciting because this is what we have to look forward to on our planet is once we awaken to this reality that we're not alone in the universe and there are intelligent people living who have had many of the same problems that we've had and then some and have been able to overcome and change themselves through utilizing these principles of Unarius um, their lives are so much better and that's what we have to look forward to Thank you very much. That that is very comprehensive, uh, Jennifer. Uh, Tracy said it beautifully. I have uh, definitely, and um, I wanted to add that another fantastic um, thing of it all is that we have had Uriel here in the physical uh, for many years and uh, setting up Star Center Number One. This is to be the Star Center Number One. Uh, for the Interplanetary Confederation. So um, we, Earth has been asked to join, and with more uh, more souls, more people becoming aware, they send this green light of welcome and um, are becoming more inspired, and many are ha- becoming more and more preconditioned in sleep state and becoming aware of this, and then the brothers work with us as well. So um, that's very, very positive future to look forward to. And then the other is that, um, yeah, this planet needed the most help. Um, You know, it's been said that if you take our problems and divide it 32 different ways, that would be a good way of looking at, um, uh, (laughs) of, uh, you know, the help that we need. Um, And so um, this is to be our future, um, to look forward to, becoming this member into having this very progressive future, which was started at Atlantis. So it's not the first time it's it's happened on this planet. Um, there was Lemuria and Atlantis in the very high uh, high cycle of those civilizations. So just wanted to add that. Thank you very much, and that greatly expands uh, the picture, and it leads to my next question. Um, So there are interplanetary confederation uh, worlds, and there are 32 of them, with us being the potential 33rd. Um, That's correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And uh, there are, uh, in the Unarian literature, a lot of other worlds that don't appear to be on the list uh, for the uh, IPC. So then we can assume that there are uh, IPC worlds and then non-IPC worlds? Yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's true. Mm-hmm. And we have um, Uriel contacted, I believe, 25 other planets 
um, not in the interplanetary confederation, some within our solar system, some um, outside of our solar system, and had interesting contacts with them. And um, But the interplanetary confederation planets, it's the way that they're located throughout our galaxy has a very important um, purpose. And these other planets we're, all have, we're all evolving. They're just, there's countless, countless billions of planets throughout our universe that have life on them. We just have, you know, touched the, the fingertip of, of the planets <laughs> that Uriel had contact with. Right, and I think the scientists um, I recently discovered more planets that could, as they're saying, have life. And uh, so, you know, that's expanding, too. Uh, every time um, there's more and more uh, technology that's uh, developed, it seems to be able to, to point to that. And then Tracy had mentioned the 25 planets, and that they're all in a book, uh, Tesla Speaks, Series Volume Five, Twenty Five Planets Speak to Planet Earth. Um, so that is that's a joy to read <clears throat> because there are many. Uh, these planets are very evolved. Some are one planet in particular is devoted to just healing, healing of obsessions. As a planet that uh, Earth people can go to um, to help resuscitate their psychic anatomies that may be very disfigured or blown apart or they need time to heal before they could incarnate. So um, they talk directly to some of these beings that just, they, that's all they do is help uh, souls make that transition from um, one life to the next. So um, that's just one sample of the many different uh uh, beings on different planets. You know, the infinite is infinite, <laughs> as, we're as we will discover and are discovering. So this planet of healing uh, serves a similar function to uh, Venus, but focuses on other types of uh, um, problems that need to be addressed. Yes. Okay. So Earth is not ready to join the uh, IPC, um, can you explain why Earth isn't ready and how we can become ready? Because I'm assuming that's an important part of the Unarian mission. Well, when more people are open to learning about that they have a higher self, that they have past lives that are um, causing the issues that they have in their life, that we have a lot of group karma, and we don't know how soon this will be, I, I hope it's tomorrow, um, but it may not be. I may not see it in, in this lifetime, but it is something um, our, our planet has been touched. We've been polarized by Uriel's consciousness. People are starting to wake up. We're seeing that every day. The amount of progress that we're making on our planet is just phenomenal on the grassroots level with people waking up to their higher self and to uh, you know greater connectedness with one another. But we still have so many problems, and when that will happen, I don't know. Um, the significance of us being invited to be part of the Interplanetary Confederation, what we're doing, what we're trying to do is to let people know that we have a positive future. We have these examples of these beings on the um, Interplanetary Confederation that have had tremendous, horrendous problems, that they've been able to overcome that. And we have this same opportunity 
And once that, you know, we reach that tipping point, whether, you know, it happens in 20 years, it happens in 500 years, I don't know, but it will definitely happen where people will wake up and say, okay, let's meet these people on these other worlds. And we had um, anybody who's studied Unarius at all and our history since 1954 know that we had a prediction of these spacecrafts coming from these other worlds on our planet. And it didn't happen. However, it will happen eventually where these beings will come to our planet and um, form a university and 32 other spaceships and we'll have an opportunity to learn directly from that, which is going to be so wonderful that we'll have this contact again directly in a, in a physical way because right now the contact is mentally. And one of the things that I wanted to add is that even though Uriel made this contact with these um, other spiritual polarities, that contact has been ongoing and we have several times a year where we have several students who sit and open their consciousness and receive what's called a transmission or contact with the space brothers and several times particularly during our annual interplanetary conclave of light event these brothers spiritual polarities and we call them brothers but several of them it's not just men it's women too Mm -hmm. have come through and given updates as to how um, what's happening on their planet. So it's still we're an ongoing communication with them, and it's up to all of us to open our consciousness. And if you study, which Hercules, you said you have, you, you, if you study these different contacts, you um, discover that you have a rapport with one or more of them. Yes. That's because we've all lived on these other planets. So um, I'm going to stop because Jennifer probably has something she wants to add to your question. Okay, thank you. I was, was going <clears> to <throat> mention that you know, Uriel has said that when the cycle is right, that, um, you know, with principles, everything has to be, it comes in cycles. And as we saw with the receptivity in the last week um, from Zebulon, and also there was an event at a new house here in L.A., um, the receptivity is just, people are just so open. So it shows that this preconditioning is, has been going on. People are going to the inner and receiving the teachings. And you can experience um, this wonderful energy just by reading a book. Now they have it in MP, MP3, and they're also on uh, CDs, DVDs. So um, taking part, just tuning into that energy that um, has been set up by the brothers, and they are here. I mean, we have been... Uh, students are learning how to tune their consciousness so that they can have that and experience it um, every day, not having to wait for a a landing and using these principles because one of the wonderful things that would be uh, coming, and uh, whether it's before that, uh, will be a psychic anatomy viewer where uh, people will see their energy body, their psychic anatomy, and also view that um, energy, the spiritual um, uh, energies from their past and um, see that they're more than just a physical body. So, And I think that there's a lot of technology now and people are waking up to that fact that they're, they're not just physical, that they're energy, spiritual beings. And uh, that is uh, something profound, uh, to experience when that realization uh, comes upon you, and not not just in your head, but in the core of your being, uh, it is uh, um, reality shattering, uh, but very helpful in progressing through life. Absolutely, 
Totally, yes. Now, the you had said before that uh, the IPC worlds work together and that they're kind of like a United uh, Nations. What type of things uh, do they do? Like, uh, like day by day, what would the operation of uh, the IPC be over this uh, uh, vast uh, vortex? Jennifer? Um, well, I guess it depends on which planet that you're on. Um, they, I'm sure they, they study, they have their schools, um, they have access to other planets. So perhaps as a field trip in the schools, they might be going to another planet rather than just, uh, just hearing about another planet. Or they have um, visitors come visit them from another planet. So um, it would be that type of situation where, um, you know, they would um, communicate that way and, and really share in the different experiences that they've had. Um, I know on the planet Vixel, they are known for their spacecraft. Um, that's where a lot of the spaceships are actually, um, when you say produced or are made, so a lot of what they do there um, would would be towards that. Um, I think it will vary in terms of what they're wanting to learn, um, but everything has changed since the books in terms of taking on these teachings, and we're receiving uh, these contacts at Interplanetary Confederation uh, event that we have in October and also at the anniversary, and the polarities come through and share um, some of these wonderful things that they're experiencing, whether it's in art. But you just get this sense and this feeling of the group consciousness that um, that's there and that they work with these principles on a daily basis. It's part of their curriculum. So whatever a person wants to study, um, they can. There's no limit, you know. There's no. Um, there's no limit to that. I guess that's a start. <laughs> yeah, and awesome. I was going to say, I was going to say something along the same lines. And I know that um, there's some planets that are more agricultural that will um, share their food growing abilities and healthy food and. So it's just whatever their area of expertise is, that's what they're sharing with each other and learning from. And so it's um, and and I can't wait to take a tour myself and see exactly. Okay, what do you do every day on this planet? Because I think <laughs> it's a, a wonderful question to ask and to think. Yeah, about. it is. So it is. It do? really gets us to really gets us to think. And there was one planet that had like homes that were like flowers in in their um in architecture and could actually float uh you know wow. across the planet. So, you know, it it's so varied to say it's it's not just one thing, that's that's for sure. And yet every individual everyone has their own um their own goals and their own um spiritual evolution that they're they're working toward. So 
So if I'm understanding uh, correctly, uh, each planet has uh, something that they're working on, and they also have some gift or talent that uh, contributes to the interplanetary confederation. And they're, they're not all high-tech. Some of them have chosen to remain uh, low-tech. Is, is that a correct assumption? Yes, it is. However, uh, I, I know one of your interests was um, planet Idonis. And, yes. And, and studying Idonis, I'm sure you remember, they're very much like a Grecian culture, which would be why you're attracted to it. <laughs> but um, they were very, very low-tech, and they realized that that fear of – like they just weaned away from technology because it had been destructive. They misused it. So what they had to learn with their contact from Uriel was that if there's nothing wrong with technology. It's learning how to balance it with right. the spiritual side. So that's the key to all of these planets, and, on us, and particularly to us on planet Earth, is we're advancing tremendously technologically, but we're still spiritually retarded. So it's learning how to find that balance between um, you know, spirit and science and integrating that in your life. So that's what these planets have all learned how to do very well because so many of them had misused technology and then like the Idonis, planet Idonis, completely reverted to purely agricultural and no, nothing electronic. And you're also, well, that's not healthy because if you had electronic, you know, electronic devices, you could record the teachings, the principles, you'd be able to share it, you'd be able to progress that much further rather than just relying on the leaders who had the clairvoyant abilities. Um, to share the principles. And that is a lesson that needs to be learned by many who are um, anchoring, or uh, maybe there's a better word, uh, the Grecian current uh, in the here and now, uh, because there is a tendency amongst uh, individuals and groups to um, go back to a primitivism, you know, to try to... uh, to try to introduce things that were before from thousands of years ago uh, that, you know, although they're, they're nice and they're beautiful and, you know, it's, it's nice to remember those times. Uh, it, it isn't the world we're living in now. And right. that's uh, a really it, good point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I remember that Uriel said that someday all of these religious, you know, artifacts or, whether it's pagan or religion, will be in a will be in a museum. You know, in the future, we'll look back and like go to a museum and and see that type of thing. That will be for a while though, because uh, Elysium <laughs> is kept very busy in its work here <laughs> with trying to. Uh, <laughs> make sure that uh, the different uh, cultural spiritualities uh, um, actually help the people that are following them. Right. And you had also mentioned um, L of Electra. Yes. Yes. And that is a planet that was more into, uh, well, religion and technology, right? She was she became a religious icon, um, but she was basically uh, a robot. You know, not a lot of feeling, not a lot of spirituality. So they were also devoid of the true spirituality, and Uriel had to waken her up to that. 
the L, the the uh, residents of L are Amazons. Uh, it was a, a very strong matriarchal uh, culture, and yeah. uh, during a certain period of uh, European, African, South American um, e- evolution, uh, Amazon cultures uh, sprang up. So when I meditated on L, I was uh, very surprised. Uh, uh, that uh, they had a lot of information on my own Amazonian uh, heritage because I'm a Lemnian Greek, which was an Amazon mm. for a while. And mm. uh, I was given a phenomenal amount of information that I did not know. And it took a very mm. long time to, to verify it. So uh, uh, L is somehow t- like, like we know what the Grecian current looks like. Uh, L is tied to uh, a current that mixed with the Grecian current at one point, but is, is very separate. Uh, in uh, in some ways, and uh, uh, I got to see how that played out in our history and evolution uh, as well, and uh, it still is playing out, you know, with women's suffrage in this uh, country and uh, the icon of Wonder Woman, and, you know, there, there are many, mm-hmm. many examples, you know, right. of the fight for women's rights uh, uh, and so forth. That all comes from that uh, current. Well, the, the yeah. Electra yeah. of Planet L was the first... Um, of the series of the Tesla Speaks of the planets that the polarity that came through. And um, we did a psychodrama back in the 70s. You know, we did some of these. And I was there at the time. And a student was um, enacting, you could say enacting, but not really enacting because it was very real. And Uriel was there. And they had set up, um, the, the men were, the, were servants to the women. Right. Um, and so it it was very, very, um, very intense and very uh, profound experience. Um, and the first, in cultures, yeah, they to break the legs of the men to prevent them from escaping, especially if they had uh, uh, skills that the Amazonian communities uh, needed. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's amazing uh, in my exploration of uh, these uh, planets, which was uh, years ago, and I, I created a website for it, even shared uh, for a while, and then my life got busy, so I couldn't uh, uh, share it uh, online. Uh, but I discovered uh, in like the unlikeliest uh, places, like there was a, a planet of uh, mutants. I don't remember the name uh, offhand, um, but uh, there I was given a lot of information on. Uh, the island of Garion, which was the Red Island, and uh, mm-hmm. a lot of information about how that tied into Atlantis, about how it tied into, um, you know, like other dimensions and things like that. So I, I my exploration of uh, the worlds of the Interplanetary Confederation was very uh, satisfying and enlightening. And now I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to doing the you know journey again. And some of these. Uh, um, beings have remained in touch, but not as continuously as when I was actively focused on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. Now, there are different planets, and um, some of the um, residents of these planets do not look, you know, they're humanoid, but they don't appear uh, human, some of them. My understanding on the Interplanetary Confederation planets is they all look similar to us. Yes, they're humanoids. They have a... Pardon me? 
Yes. yes the, the ones I experienced humans. both uh, mm-hmm. humanoid with some minor like variations due to you know what their history was. Right, like Susa. Right. That was yeah. They had to go underground, and it actually mutated their entire being. And they've worked that you know they've been working with that through the lens and with the brothers so that they would be you know be coming back to um, that form more of a human. And I, I because think they already was, have, but yeah. Yeah, and I think they have now. But I'm just saying at the time that the contacts were. Yeah, and that was probably the most drastic. They actually had um, mutated to only have one eye, mm-hmm. and then they also had, like, extra arms coming out, appendages that didn't yes. do anything. Yeah, so that that's probably the most extreme example of, of human mutation due to misuse of energy from their past. But they, they've and, been able to work that out and resolve it. And I think there was, I think it was Ming, it was, well, this was true in Orion that a lot of the skin became blue from lack of oxygen. You know, yeah. they lack of hook they, up with your spiritual self. Exactly. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So we live in a very busy universe, mm-hmm. uh, full of uh, lessons that we can learn and uh, uh, relearn uh, as we move through time. Right. Absolutely. Now. You mentioned the term uh, polarity, and again, I know the answers to some of these questions, but uh, you know, I'm trying to uh, um, help spread Unarian information. What exactly is a polarity? Well, the polarity is um, for the Interplanetary Confederation uh, is a being that has had a development um, from higher spiritual worlds, uh, starting out with uh, Aries uh, 800,000 like 800, years ago. And mm-hmm. uh, they set it up seeing that there would be this problem with this world and other worlds to, um, to help. And so um, Uriel, uh, ha- as the you would say as the director, um, helped to set this mission forward and went with each of the polarities to the planet. Sometimes they incarnated on that planet and got them started. Sometimes it was to build a um, a tower or it was to um, to help build a temple. Um, but got that started and then um, left. I mean, not just took off, but um, and you might say just seeded the planet in that way. And then um, when the cycle was right for them to make that contact, she um, contacted them with that energy, and they were ready to take that up because they had they had had that development on the inner worlds, and so it was very. Um, <clears throat> short period, if you might say, time um, that they became aware of their missions on those planets and were able to quickly get things turned around with each planet. That's kind of it in a nutshell. I'm sure. Yeah, thank and you. Well, and Jennifer did a, a great job of explaining that. One of the things yes. that happened was, as each of these um, 
people, as Uriel contacted each of these polarities, some of them remembered that, remembered Ayashana, remembered Uriel, whatever her spiritual name was at the time, and, we, and, and was waiting for it. And some of them were completely blocked off, and it mm-hmm. took um, that healing of Uriel for them to recognize, oh, yes, I do remember who you are. And another aspect about polarities, and this, this is a very abstract concept, and I can't say that I fully understand it, but one of the things that is um, interesting is that Uriel is actually overshadowing each of these polarities, so they're really an extension of her consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're existing as physical beings on these planets, but that higher self, that super consciousness of Uriel is actually, that's the polarity relationship. Is they're essentially the other, you know, they're part of her consciousness, but acting as individual beings on each of these planets. And it's true for all of us when we're in tune with our higher self, we're really in tune with all of infinity, infinity and all these advanced higher beings projecting to us on planet earth. And one thing that um, Tracy mentioned was that, you know, some of these were more, some of these polarities were more asleep and some were, I mean, asleep to their higher self and then some were more um, ready for, for the information or they, they were actually waiting um, you know, to make this contact. So for the ones that were not as ready, Uriel would, you know, she would make a projection. Um, she would project to a council or those close to that that polarity. And on some, um, with some of the polarities, she would do, she would make several projections. Um, she might even appear right in front of that uh, polarity. And each one had a different experience. That that's what's so fascinating and beautiful is that she might she appeared as a galaxy um, to one polarity. Another polarity she appeared as um, a goddess um, or whatever they had remembered in terms of their own experience with that energy. So that's very wonderful to read and experience. Um, yes. Yeah with those books too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a a very profound that bits and pieces of ourselves uh, might be learning and experiencing apart from our uh, daily awareness of them. And that uh, time as we understand it does not really exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And space for that matter. Um, (laughs) think about and a lot to uh, absorb and uh, in answering the the questions I'm sure in everybody's mind a whole bunch of new questions are popping uh, up and I'm glad we're going to take this exploration uh, through the uh, interplanetary uh, confederation uh, in the days ahead now you had mentioned earlier um, that the gem that they use to communicate and to do things, uh, that is also a manifestation of uh, Uriel's higher self as well. The lens, yes. I'm sorry, yes, the lens. Right, the lens, the lens being a development of all these higher minds. Um, You might think of it as a super, super celestial internet um, which holds all of this wisdom and love and healing. Um, and Uriel, when she makes the projection and she's talked about it, it's 
bigger than a planet, and it's been expanding, I'm sure, since then. And I know that that's something that, as students, we're all learning how to tune in and learning about it. So that's always growing as well. Thank you. Tracy, um, anything to add? No, you did a great, yeah, great explanation. <laughs> but it's, it's something. I have to think of more questions for next time. You guys are awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're really awesome. Concise, powerful. <laughs> yeah. It's just the, the lens is such a vast concept and mm-hmm. very important. It's something that she really stressed the, to the polarities that they utilize the lens as a way to get the answers for themselves of how to change whatever the particular situation was. And the lens never let them down, and it was very, very clever. Like, it's not something that you can think of with your conscious mind because it's tuning into this vast storehouse of infinite creative intelligence. And whatever their problem was, it was always when Uriel, we contacted them and said, okay, how are you doing? And they'd say, well, we had no idea, but this is what we, information we got from the lens, and we did this, and it worked, or we're working on this, or we're working on that. And it's just so interesting to, to study and learn about. And, and that's the same tool. It's not exclusive to these polarities on the planet. It's available for all of us. Right. And as an example, Messinus of Idonis, um, um, you know, they were um, into nature, and one of the things that they liked to do for most of the day was to dress uh, mo- you know, models and each other in their garb, and um, so as was has been said, they needed technology, and so um, that was that information was downloaded from the lens, and that's how they got they regained that information, um, starting with you know, whether it was recording devices or communication devices. So um, that's where they got the information to change. Thank you. And that, that, again, widens the picture uh, a great deal. Um, one of the questions uh, I had, because in my, in my own uh, astral or inner uh, adventures, um, my explorations were limited to you know, a particular area or areas. Uh, and uh, I wondered, um, how has being part of the Interplanetary Confederation um, altered their culture because one of the things we can learn from the IPC is that you could retain your own cultural identity and still leave yourself open for uh, growth. And here people, uh, especially uh, from different uh, religions or different cultures resist change and they fight change uh, uh, very fiercely. And they're afraid many times of uh, new elements, which is the uh, corrupt and that doesn't seem to have uh, happened on the IPC worlds. Well, I can't speak for how they, um, how the people on the planets have done that, but I can only look at myself as an example. And one of the okay. things that I've learned as a student is that if I'm not changing, if I'm stagnant, I'm reverting. I'm not making progress that I have to be open to change and have to be, um, if there's something I'm fearful, if I'm, you know, holding on to something from the past, that's going backwards. So I'm, and that's part of the principles of being Aries is that we, we need to be moving forward. We need to be open to these new experiences and um, working out our past lives. 
because that's when we we become freer. So I'm assuming that they embrace because we're all studying the same principles of interdimensional physics that they have that same attitude that they're not they're not going to forget what their past is because that's what they're learning from, but at the same time they're embracing positive changes in their future. Right. I was just going to mention too. Yeah, I was going to say they there's a respect for where you where you come from for for what you've experienced, but then for what you're learning and that's been so true for so many of the scientists <clears throat> that have <clears throat> that have been on planet Earth and then have come through in the Tesla Speaks books and talked about um what they're doing now, you know, and how their life on planet Earth was just one tiny little speck of what of what they're learning um, being on these spiritual worlds, and yet you can tell that that's how they respect where they're coming from. So it's not it's not lost. It's not like well, let's forget that totally. It's more of like it's a lesson, and it's become that wisdom for the future. That's a really good point that Jennifer shared. Yeah, because what the, a lot of these scientists have said is that they, they kind of laugh at how limited their consciousness was in their last incarnation because they learned so much more, you know, being on the other side and know that when they come back again, whether it's on this planet or another planet, that they're going to learn even more. That's very true. And uh, one of the things I like about Unarius is you cannot think small in being Unarian. <laughs> You have billions of years and billions of light years, and what do you call it? Uh, an unbelievable amount of uh, of history spanning uh, time and space, and it's all accessible to you. Uh, so you can go and explore. You can uh, from a chair by reading uh, next to your uh, MP3 player, from your DVD, or on your own astral adventures. It's all there to the extent that uh, uh, you can access it and, and get this information for yourself. Uh, and it's very important to point out that Unarius is not a religion. Um, Unarius is a right. spiritual science, and that's a very big distinction uh, that people need to realize. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the, one of the most important things for um, us to understand is that we all have this higher self, and um, we're, we're spirit beings, we're energy beings. And the more that we understand how energy functions from an interdimensional perspective, it takes away the mysticism and looking outside of yourself for answers that religion has per- perpetrated. And we talked about at the beginning of the show, what, you know, this film psychodrama about Orion. And that's really where the root of religion's religious deception has started. Right. And it, it's about control for the most part, you know, control. Absolutely. Uh... <laughs> Um, as you know, you know, I'm working on something called the Elysium Project. I've been working on it for years. And part of the, what the Elysium Project does is uh, it, uh, it creates like interfaith uh, conversation. And so um, I've been having these interfaith conversations with the individuals and groups uh, for years. And what's emerged from that uh, is an understanding that we can view the world in different ways, you know, depending on what we've experienced, where we stand, what we've studied, but there are universal values that, 
you know, despite what uh, particular path you happen to be following, um, the, these universal values uh, tie us all together in the condition of humanity, which we're all collectively undergoing right now. That ties us uh, together as well. So with these groups now, and again, they retain their, their beliefs, um, we communicate with each other and cooperate with each other from that particular level. Mm-hmm. Rather yeah, than that through... Sounds- uh, very positive. Yes, yes it, it is very positive, and uh, we're seeing a lot of good results because they're opening doors and they're opening minds, and they're not trying to, you know, recruit people and, uh, you know, uh, get them to believe what they believe. You know, it, it's it's more sharing of views, but an understanding that there's something higher than the views. Right, because uh, it comes more, from within. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Now, we're reaching the end of today's uh, journey, and as always, it saddens me. Uh, and I'd like to close <laughs> with ways that people can co- connect with uh, Unarius and uh, explore this uh, vast uh, universe. Well, we have several websites, and we do have a website on the interplanetaryconfederation.com. You can check out and learn more about the planets and the polarities of the Confederation. We also have a website, Unarius. Org, U-N-A-R-I-U-S dot org. And we have ongoing classes um, Wednesday and Sunday Pacific time from 7 to 8.30. The classes are streamed live, and anyone is welcome to um, watch the class and participate via instant messenger during the class. We um, hold events throughout the year. A uh, big one we talked about is the Interplanetary Confederation event, which is usually the second weekend in October. Um, we celebrate our anniversary. Um, you know, it's been in existence since 1954, and the, usually the second or third week of February. And then we hold workshops, and um, most of our events we stream live, so people are able to watch that. Um, we do have a, a beautiful center in El Cajon, California, in the San Diego area, that people are able to, um, if you're in the area, visit us. You can also, on our website, see a beautiful Google tour, 360-degree tour of the website. We have um, books. We have CDs. We have DVDs that are available for purchase. We also air shows on public access stations. And, again, you can check this out on our website. Um, one station in particular, LA36, I think it's .org, actually has several Unarius shows that are archived and you can watch on demand. Um, for free. Books, uh, <laughs> for free, yes. So yep. we have um, we try and make as much as what we do available to everybody and um, not exclude anyone. And you're welcome to write in or call and ask questions or email us and ask if you have any questions. And um, we have all sorts of ways to get in touch with Unarius. And Tracy definitely covered it all. Tracy. <laughs> Thank you so much. This Thank has you. been a great pleasure, and I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. Uh, I was just informed we have uh, around a minute, uh, so I will play a song called uh, Cry Freedom, which is about uh, the uh, controlling uh, nature of uh, religion, and it's one of the songs here, so I'll play that. Thanks again. Uh, Please give my regards to all my Unarian brothers and sisters, and uh, I'm looking forward to next month. Love and light, Hercules. Thank you. Love and light. We really appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Bye. Take care. Bye. 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 You too.
If we dare not speak our minds 